be here tonight. You guys are a fun crowd to talk to. I came um, last spring and had a blast, so I guess I did good enough to get invited back. Um, but for those that don't know me, like I said, I'm Polly Connor, uh, married to Austin Connor, and there is supposed to be a picture behind me any minute of the fam. Is it coming? There it is. Okay. So that's our family. Um, I just really want you to appreciate this picture because there was a lot of gummy bear bribery that went into getting that shot, okay? You don't see the handful behind my daughter, Adeline. I had gummy bears in my hand, like handing them out as soon as they'd smile. So that's our one family picture of the year that we're going to get. And uh, as per tradition, I do like to start my talks off with a little crazy kid story. Um, I didn't really have one until this afternoon, okay? So I seriously prayed. I was like, Lord, what am I... How am I going to get going in this? Oh, he gave me something. Um, so this afternoon, I was getting ready to leave the house to kind of go work on this talk, actually. And I asked my four-year-old son, Tyler, said, hey, can you go get the mail for, get the mail for me? It's kind of a little errand he likes to do. So he ran out there. I went upstairs to get my shoes or something, and I hear this, like, faint cry from outside, like, mom, mom, mom. This panic, right? I'm like, what in the world? Like, book it downstairs, almost trip going around out the door, open the door, and he stands like a piece of mail looking down the street. And guys, it was a windy day. I don't know if you were outside at all. It is windy. I'm not kidding you. Three houses down, I see our mail flying in the wind. I mean, bills, magazines, like private information all over our neighborhood. So I like, I'm like in my socks. He's barefoot. We take off running. We're like trying to pick up pieces as we go. And it's just, I mean, it's in the trees and the bushes. So like, I'm like, my hair is everywhere. So the neighbors were like just laughing. So I, you know, come back. We're walking back. And Tyler looks at me and goes, Mom, that was fun. (laughs) Yeah, but no, it wasn't. So that was my one little story we had for today. But um, anyway, I do want to tell you another story about a guy named Don Ozenward. So um, Don is from Illinois, and he was called to be, he felt called to be a missionary in Russia. So he's actually been over there for about 15 years. And just recently, this past year, Russia put into place a new law called the Yaryovia Laws. Okay, if you speak any type of Russian, I'm so sorry. I probably butchered that. I'm giving my best. Uh, so this Yaryovia Laws basically put strict um, conditions on missionary activity over there. So much so that they, you can't even have a conversation about Christianity outside the walls of a like de- confined environment that was designated as a church or something. So... Um, Russians are highly skeptical of missionaries, so as soon as this law went into effect last year, Don started getting complaints because people just wanted him out of there. So he starts getting complaints, and in fact, the first week that the law went into effect, he had four policemen show up at his children's meeting. So of all places to show up, four policemen children's meeting. Um, that slide should be coming too. Yeah, so these are the four Russian policemen there, and they take him aside out of that, and they question him for hours. Okay, just about his life, his ministry, the things he does in the church, out of the church. They just kind of like pulled him apart to like what he does. And based on what they saw in his life, um, he is now the first person to be charged under these Yaryovia laws. Um, Now he's pushing back saying that he has been compliant through it all, didn't do anything wrong. Um, but in case you didn't know, Russia doesn't really play by the rules so much. Um, And in fact, this is... um, his lawyers sent a long letter to him, basically warning him, like, hey, this is not a good deal. And there's one section from this letter I thought was fascinating. So um, it says, I don't think you realize the power of the machine you're up against. The next time, I guarantee you'll be deported. 
they might decide to lock you up for a few months just for spite. It is very possible in this country for them to take you to the basement for a beating first, and you might just disappear and not be seen again. I know you live alone here with your wife. I would hate to think that, you would do, that they would do anything to her, but this is a powerful machine. So as I was reading this story, I couldn't help but think about the idea of being on trial for being a Christian. I mean, if I were put on trial right now, like what evidence would they have against me? So what about you? Like if you went home tonight and policemen showed up at your door and they said, you know, we're charging you for being a Christian, what examples would they have to prove you as a Christian? Would they have witnesses? Would there be people in your life that would say, yeah, they do this, this, and this? Um, if they followed your daily routine, would they have evidence? Would they, if they followed what you did throughout the day, the way you spent your money, would they have tangible evidence to put before a judge? And like the Russians saw with Don, his life was quite different than the norm. And the Bible makes it very clear that as Christians, our lives should look different too. Your life should look different. It should stand out. Like Paul says in the passage we're going to go through today, he says, you were meant to live as a light, and lights are meant to be seen. So through this passage, Paul's going to tell us some things about living as lights. He's going to tell us what we need to do to shine, what happens when we do, and why it's worth it. So that's where we're going today. Um, but to start off, let me ask you this. You know, we're in a classroom. So if I were to say, don't do it. I'm just saying, hypothetically. If I were to say, get a piece of paper out. And I want you to write down, what do you think is the most powerful way to reflect Jesus to the people around you? Now really think about this. This is Jesus we're talking about, okay? This is the God who put himself in human form, who brought men back to life, who demons shuddered at his name, who eventually conquered death and currently sits on the throne in heaven. Like, that's the guy we're talking about. How do you reflect him to the people around you? So hopefully you're turning some ideas in your head on what you would say to that. But it's a pretty heavy question, right? So let's see what Paul says to this in the Bible. Because his answer might actually surprise you. He comes out of the gate with this. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Don't complain. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, if I, if I had to ask myself that question, like, what does God really want for my life? I would think it'd be like something bigger, right? Like, God, don't you want me to like, you know, serve in third world countries? Don't you want me to, to start movements? Don't you want me to do, you know, help the poor and the helpless? Don't you want those things from me? And while those things aren't bad things, Paul's telling us something different here. He's saying right now, where you're at, I'm saying do everything without grumbling, grumbling or arguing. Another translation actually says do everything without complaining or disputing. So in essence, he's saying if you want to live as a light, then I want you to stop grumbling about your roommate. <laughs> I want you to stop grumbling about that professor who's treated you unfairly. I want you to stop complaining and whining about how busy you are. I mean, it's crazy to me that this is his first instruction. I just think it would be something bigger, right? But if you take a look back at the larger story of God, this can make a bit more sense. 
In the Bible, we're told that the continual problem of the Israelites, who are God's people, was complaining. So the Israelites just got freed from centuries of cruel, cruel, bitter slavery, okay? And God said, hey, leave Egypt where you were slaves. Leave your chains behind. I'm moving you to this promised land. You're going to this place of freedom, okay? Now, on their way there, God did some incredible miracles to keep them alive, okay? So right off the bat, he parts a sea right in front of them so they can escape these enemies that are behind them that are going to kill them. He also, when they got hungry, he, he brought food from the sky, okay? When they were thirsty, he poured water out of a rock. So he did these crazy miracles right in front of them just to keep them alive. But they are in a desert, and they're getting uncomfortable. It's a long journey. And they begin to grumble. They begin to grumble about the good old days of slavery, <laughs> And accusing their leader, Moses, of taking them out to the wilderness to die. I mean, from our perspective, this seems kind of silly, right? Like, we see, like, God just did all these crazy things right in front of your face. Like, you got a miracle right here, and you're not trusting him right now? How are you losing perspective here? And Moses called them out on it, too. Moses made it very clear to them that their grumbling was not necessarily against him, but actually against God. And that's true, that was true then, and it's true now. So, for example, when we complain about the weather, we're complaining about what God has planned for that day for us. When we complain about the hard people in our lives, we're not trusting God's hand and who he has crossed our paths with and who he's put us around. When we complain about not having enough money, we're basically telling God, I don't trust you to provide for me. When we complain about not getting something we want, we're telling God that he's holding out on us. Complaining is a deep heart issue. It's a vertical issue. It's not out here. It's this. When we don't fully trust God's heart and his promises, we don't necessarily rebel. We just whine. <laughs> we kind of complain. We grumble. Another reason complaining and discontentment is so dangerous is because it's contagious. So think about this. Anytime you start complaining about something, nine times out of ten, the people you're talking to are going to join right in, right? Because it's just what we do as a society. We just join in on the complaining. And that can be so dangerous to a group of people, to the morale of a group. One complainer can change the entire outlook of a group, of a church, of a ministry, of a team. You've probably seen it. You've probably known that one person, right? One person can change the whole dynamic. So you're seeing why now Paul may be saying, he comes out of the gate with, do not complain. It makes a bit more sense when we look at the bigger picture of God, right? The heart issue of complaining is not trusting God. So here's another question for you. What would happen if you just didn't grumble at all? I mean, what would your day look like? What would your mood be? What would your relationships look like if you had no grumbling in your life? Now, here's what Paul says to answer that question. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then get this. Then you will shine like the, among them like stars in the sky. I mean, that's 
huge. God is saying he wants us to be blameless and pure in our generation. And he wants us to shine among them like stars. Now, a few years ago, I went on a uh, family vacation to Alaska. When I say a few years ago, it was a while ago. Um, My dad's an outdoorsman, and so he's been there a few times, and he took um, Austin and I and the rest of our family there. Um, And there's the lovely picture. Um, As you can see, Austin got really into the culture up there. He really wanted to wear fur skins. He really just wouldn't take that hat off, guys. It was weird. Um, no, I'm kidding. But for the record, that you can't really see in this light. That's a huge salmon. That's my fish that I caught right out of that river, all right? So we did some really cool stuff up there besides salmon fishing. Um, we went on this one boat ride where it was like you could see, like, the guide took us to live, like, wild bears who were, like, feeding on salmon. And literally, they were this close to us. Like, we were in the boat. I'm like, is this okay? Like, can, they can get up on the boat anytime, right? Uh, but bears didn't care about us. But these are wild bears that were swimming around us. Uh, at one point, we flew in a plane over a huge glacier. And you could see these, like, 100-foot, like, crevices that you could, like, I mean, just, you couldn't see down to the bottom of them. This glacier everywhere. We went deep-sea fishing for halibut. And, and once on that trip, there was a school of killer whales that surrounded us, which, again, a little discomforting. But we were surrounded by killer whales at one point. But out of all the cool things we did in Alaska, you know what, one thing that I remember the most? It was the night sky, the stars. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a remote location where the electricity and the lights of a city don't interfere with the sky. If you have, you know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, I'm going to do my best to describe it. It is amazing. Like the stars are incredibly bright. They span from horizon to horizon. There are so many more out there that you don't even realize that you can't see in your city. They're incredible. They provide beauty and peace and direction to this world. You can't help but look at them when you're out there. And Paul is saying, I want you to be that. I want your walk to attract people. You were made to shine like that. To make this as simple as possible, it means when you're not grumbling, you're a light. When you're, not the, when you're the only one in your class or group of friends or team, wherever you may find yourself that's not grumbling, you'll stand out because everyone grumbles. Like I said, it's just what we do. And that's what you were made to do, to shine. You were made to reflect Christ in a very dark generation. I mean, guys, all around you, people are starving for life. They're starving for purpose and fulfillment. And if they catch even a hint of that in you, you better believe they are watching you and that they notice. You don't know who's tuned in and watching you. You don't know who's noticing a difference in you if you don't grumble or if you act differently. You don't know who's listening to your words. Um, So a few years ago, I went to um, the wedding of some friends you might know. Their names were Kyle and Noel Richter. Um, More than a few years ago, again. Um, But Austin was a groomsman in the wedding, so I was kind of like the odd man out, like when you have a groomsman in the wedding, you're kind of like, where do I sit? Where do I go? So anyway, I was kind of floating around doing my thing. And at the reception, they had a um, cake table, okay? And so there were like a variety of cakes, which 
I really love dessert, so I was like legit excited about this cake table. Like I've been waiting for it, okay? So lots of kind of cakes I like really mold over which one I'm going to get. And so I landed on like the red velvet, okay? Because I don't, can't make a good red velvet cake, and it's like, all right, I'm getting red velvet. So I get my red velvet cake, and I like walk over to some acquaintances of mine. We're going to call them Will and Emily. And I, you know, I go and I take my bite of the cake. I'm like, oh, that's bad. Like, that's really bad, guys. Like, this is so dry. Have you tried this? <sighs> Dang it. Like, I wish I could, like, pick a different. Do you think I can go throw this away? No one will notice. Can I get a different one? And they're not quite responding like I expected them to, right? Uh, you know, when you grumble about something, they're supposed to join in. But they're, like, standing there, like, awkwardly. I'm like, what the heck's up with them? And then it starts to dawn on me. I'm like, hmm. Emily owns a cake business on the side. No, 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 no. You know, like it's, it's turning, it's turning. And then as if on cue, this group of girls walks up. Emily, your cake is so good. So then I'm like dying at this point, right? I'm like, I, like there's no recovery. Okay, it gets worse. They say, they say, Emily, is this so weird to stand next to your cake table? What if someone were to take a bite and be like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. Like all this is happening in front of me. I'm like... I, again, no recovery. I, guys, I just slinked away. Like, there's, <laughs> I, could, I just couldn't even come up with words. I throw my cake away because it was bad. And I go find Austin. <laughs> I go find Austin. I'm like, we have to go. I don't care that you're a groomsman. We're out of here. Like, <laughs> so I don't think we left that moment. I for sure hid in a corner the rest of that reception. It was real awkward. I mean, it was like the story of the, at that point I worked at the crossing. It was like the story of the year. I was getting texts. It was bad. So anyway. My point of that story, if I can bring it back, is that you don't know who's tuned in and listening to your words, right? Um, You don't know what the person next to you in class is going through. You don't know what God might be stirring up in someone that you work with. And you never know who's hitting rock bottom in the room next to you. You just don't know. But we do know that many people, many, many people, are sitting in the dark and don't know where to turn or where to go. So when Paul says be pure and blameless in this warped and crooked generation, he imagines us being like lights in a dark place. So here's what this looks like. This doesn't mean that you have to be 100% flawless light all the time, okay? It also doesn't mean that when you mess up, your light's off. We aren't on and off light switches, okay? We are more of a dimmer switch, all right? So follow me on this. If you're saved by grace through faith, your light is always on and always in process, okay? So sometimes that light's shining pretty bright, right? And sometimes not so much. But the good news is, is that even a dim light still provides noticeable difference in a dark room, Right? What he wants for us, what God wants for us over time is for that dimmer to move up just a little bit and then just a little bit more. And it gives room for up and down, guys. That's that's the process. That's a walk with God. It's up and down. But over time, a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter. So eventually you'll stand out more and more from this crooked generation that we live in. But how do we do this, okay? How do we not become part of that crooked and warped generation? How do we shine like stars? Well, Paul tells us next. 
He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So think about this. What's your view of the Bible? Do you really believe it's God's word? Or is it just kind of another book on your shelf that you occasionally open, get some advice from maybe, find a little comforting verse, move on for the day? Because Paul calls it the word of life. Word of God. Let that sink in. The maker of heaven and earth who holds the universe in his hands, who knows everything there is to know, has spoken. And it's, we have it right here. And guys, in America, we have it in every shape, every size, every color, every texture, every translation you could ever want. You have it. There are studies and commentaries, hundreds of them, for every book in this Bible that you can look at. At any point, you could hop on your phone and in like a minute or two have the Bible at your fingertips. At any point, you could listen to any sermon on any book in this Bible. In our country, we are so blessed that it is so easy to open and read God's word. But I think that is why we don't realize how precious it is. We don't feel like it's valuable because it's so accessible. Most of us don't think this is that big of a deal and don't really take the time to really get to know it and to really learn it, let alone hold fast to it. So let's talk about that word hold fast that Paul uses. It can be translated to hold firmly, to hold out, to hold fast to your convictions. We are called to be shaped more by this than by the culture. If you've been a Christian for very long, you know that is easier said than done, right? We not only have this sinful nature that we're at war with, war with inside ourselves, but we also have an ongoing, in, ongoing influence and messages from our culture that never let up. So I'm kind of a weather nerd. I think at one point in my life I wanted to be like a meteorologist. So my nerd glasses up, right? Uh, sorry for any meteorologists out there. It's a noble, noble career. Um, I, when the hurricanes were hitting the south, I was like fascinated with that stuff. I was seriously like checking my radar for the hurricane rains. I don't know why. Um, and I watched like all the videos coming out of Houston and Florida and everything. Um, and there was one video that caught my eye that I do want to show you real quick. So let's hop to that. And that's why I didn't become a meteorologist. <laughs> um, wow, right? <laughs> so this may sound a little extreme, but I think this is a good visual on what we're up against. Okay? It is not natural to hold fast to the word of life. It does not happen by accident. 
There has to be a determination like that guy in us that says, I am going to hold my attention on this. I'm going to hold my place in this. I am not going to let up. Because the messages of our culture, they don't let up, okay? And if I don't hold fast, I'm going to become just as ineffective and lukewarm as everyone else. So the Bible says, shine among them like stars as you hold firmly to the word of life. Without this spiritual, spiritual nourishment, no Christian can be strong. This is our lifeline in this journey, friends. Now, I will say this. I think the illustration of that video falls a bit short in one way. I think most of the time, we slowly slip. We make small compromises. We let up just a tad, just one step. No one really notices, right? Then another, just small steps. There's a quote by Beth Moore I want to read to you um, that I think summarizes this really well. She says, you will watch a generation of Christians, of, of Christians, set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will be perhaps the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in your generation. She was talking to college students when she said that. Setting aside truth in the name of love. And guys, I've seen this happen firsthand, okay? Some of the most devoted Christians that I served with in my college days, that I prayed with, that I served shoulder to shoulder with, are currently out of the game. And truth be told, I was headed in that direction with them. There was a good season in my Christian life where my motto was, love God, love others, and the rest will work itself out. I didn't think I needed church. I didn't go to church for a long time. I didn't think I needed accountability. I was annoyed by the words theology and doctrine because I thought they were too divisive. They turned people off too much. Now, where was I getting that message? Not from here, I'll tell you that. I had no idea how incredibly dangerous this thinking was to my faith. I had no idea. I had no idea this path, this trajectory I was on, I was on a trajectory of setting aside the word of God entirely. I was an active young life leader, small group leader, mission trip leader, who was not holding fast to the word of God, and I was slowly, spiritually starving myself, and I had no clue. I was not worshiping the God of the Bible, but the God that I had fabricated in my own head that felt more comfortable. You know, and I personally feel like a sense of urgency in sharing this because I've seen what happens so easily in myself. And it made complete sense in the moment. But I've lived long enough now to see over time what happens when people start down that path. When we don't hold fast to the word of God, we will set it aside more and more and more because it becomes more inconvenient. It becomes more offensive and it becomes more divisive and you just can keep pushing it to the side in the name of love. But the truth is we cannot love God for who he really is without loving his word. So throughout the Bible, we continually see Paul point people back to his God's word. Why? 
because he knows this is the only way to truly grow. He doesn't want his time and effort with these people to be wasted. He says, as we move on in the scripture, he says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He poured into these people, and he wants, to, he wants them to grow and flourish in their faith. He's saying, I don't want my time to be wasted. I don't want this, these prayers and these tears and these efforts and this teaching to be wasted. And I, I totally get that. You know, I think back to the days I did serve in Young Life and, and the crossing. And, you know, more than often, I saw girls choose the things of this world over Christ. If I were to have kept a score chart based on my own understanding, I would have been losing big time. There have been many times in my life I've asked, was my time and effort and energy really worth it? Because I don't see it. And even now, I mean, you might relate to these questions like, when I give up sleep in order to have just some time in the, in the word, or when I give our money away that I very much could use on other things, when I pour hours into uh, hours of my life into preparing a talk for college students, there's always this haunting question of, "Is this worth it, <laughs> or is this all? Is this going to be in vain?" You know, when I start to go down this road, I find myself going back to a story in the Bible that I really love, and it's about a young boy. And we actually don't know much about this boy. We know that he was young, and we know that he was probably poor based on what he was carrying that day. But we do know he was part of a huge crowd that was following Jesus. And somehow he had made himself, he made himself to the front of that crowd. He looked up and he saw the disciples and Jesus having a pretty heated discussion up there, okay? And then he sees a disciple point to him, right? And then the disciples and Jesus all turn and look to him. This is a young boy. He probably thought, oh crap, like <laughs> I'm in trouble somehow, right? But then a disciple comes over to him and says, hey, Jesus wants to use your basket of food, five loaves, two fish, to feed this crowd. I imagine this boy's like, what? <laughs> like, this? For that? Uh, okay. You know? <laughs> like, they probably seemed, just probably couldn't understand why he would take this small offering for this. But, in faith, he gave what he had over to Jesus. Here's what happened next. My guess is Jesus probably gave him a little wink and he said, watch this. <laughs> and Jesus started handing out those loaves and fish. And guess what? Every time he reached back in that basket, there was more and more and more. So much so he, gave, he filled the other baskets and told the disciples, go out, give more, give more. He took the small offering of this boy and he multiplied it beyond comprehension. This boy did not have much to offer, but, what, but he gave the small sacrifice that he did that seemed totally in vain, and look what Jesus did with it. He took that small effort and he multiplied it beyond comprehension. So as the worship team comes back up, I'm going to end with this point. God takes our small efforts, the small ways that we shine, and he uses them. God is saying, put the score card down. You cannot comprehend what I am up to behind the scenes. You're just called to be faithful where you're at and trust that it is not in vain. 
the choice to withhold grumbling, not in vain. The feeling of missing out because you're not going out, not in vain. The small prayers that no one else hears except for God, not in vain. The hard choices you have to make over and over again, not in vain. The choice to forgive, not in vain. The things you have to say no to over and over again. The temptations you have to fight, not in vain. Paul tells us, yes, there will be a sacrifice. There will be a cost. But he says we can rejoice in these things. You know why? Because God is taking your light from over here. He's taking your small light from over here. He's taking your light from over here. And he's taking the lights from our brave brothers and sisters across the world who are shining in very dangerous places. And somehow, in his sovereignty, he's weaving those all together. And we get to be part of this beautiful narrative that's unfolding as we shine like stars in the universe.